Fans Podcast, your home for movie news, reviews, and movie fan views. This is the podcast from movie fans for movie fans. I am your host, Ryan Dunleavy, and joined by the cleanly shaven Rob Dunham. I, I have lots of hair on my head still. It's just all on my head. See, we can my go face. to the reverse on that. Yes. Yeah. Now, it, it, you would look, people who are bald with beards look very weird, so. <laughs> ah, yes. So Rob is joining us in his uh, Portland Timbers jersey yes. for, these, for today. So that's, uh, that's a good one. I like that one. Red, that's uh, it's an interesting color. I like the red and black together. Good look. Yeah, yeah it works. All right. Well, if you like the Film for Fans podcast, do us a favor and share it with your friends. It would be awesome to have all of the new fans on board. If you do, if you do, you too will have the ability to have a cleanly shaven face. Hmm. (laughs) I know. There's not really much of a benefit to that, is there? If you don't, I will create a new version of HBO Max that it's only extended editions of movies with no commercials and it costs eight thousand dollars a month ah <laughs> uh, yes yours yours is still better than mine because i didn't have anything i didn't write anything ahead of time so we just went with it it's all good well we have an excellent show for you we are going to be talking about european box office reopenings the new HBO Max version. Um, And we're going to be talking about is there value to still owning movies? Hmm. That should be a fun one. And of course, our watch list. So Rob, are you ready to get started? Let's do it. All right. So our first story is Reopening box offices in the UK and France are doing quite well. They're very pleased with them. So um, the UK and France opened this past week and the signs are going well. They spent about seven months where they were closed down and they're back open. The UK is running at 50% capacity for their theaters and France is running at 35% capacity. And so far, they're doing well. Um, There was a roughly uh, $1 million in sales for the UK on the first week. And these opened uh, on the first day, that is, or which was Wednesday uh, for them. Uh, Actually, they opened, the UK opened on Monday. uh, But Cinemark uh, opened, Cineworld actually opened their theaters on Wednesday. So they had a much bigger opportunity and made a little over a million dollars, which was up 41% from the previous day. And in the, in France, they actually opened on Wednesday and apparently did enough business that they were at a very similar pace to us, to the recurring day from 2019, which is, which is great considering the 35% capacity. Um, in France, they're actually talking about, the, the one theater owner was saying that uh, they, they've been opening showtimes at 8 a.m. in the morning and they've been selling out. Mm. So obviously there is an excitement about the reopening of theaters in Europe. Rob, what'd you make of it? Uh, it's, it's positive to see that there's such a, big reception to movies coming back out for sure. And I found it interesting as well that it's not just things that are brand new, but some of the things that had been, some of the movies that had been released on streaming ahead of time, even in uh, England and France, some of these movies like the Warner movies had actually been released on demand, but people are still showing up for them, which is a positive thing because it tells you that people want the experience of the movie theater that and that I think that's one of the things that we had discussed at length on will people still feel that value add from coming into the actual theater for that experience over 
just staying and continuing to watching watch stuff on their own TV in their house. Yeah. Yeah, and I think I think so far the signs have been positive, um, both what we're seeing in the U.S. and it was interesting to see what would happen in Europe, and and how their theaters react. Uh, one of the uh, managing directors of, of one of the, the cinemas was saying that uh, this was there was no way they could have hoped for a better restart to theaters based on people's reaction and the sold out shows, the attendance, and. I think it shows that there is a hunger for it. Uh, I think there is still a place for the theater. There is still a place for the experience. I think there's also the case of anytime you can't do something for a while and you get to do it again, that's always, that's always fun. And that's always a good thing. So hopefully this means that um, the international uh, theater industry will start to come back and uh, the cinemas will be able to make more money with their releases which will help them push more movies out that's that's what we can hope and uh the article also mentions that uh, french theaters will very soon in the beginning of june be moving to 65 percent capacity so that will also increase the amount of opportunity for people in france to see it and increase the money for the studio so there's nothing nothing bad to be said here glad to see that it's going so well over in europe Okay, so moving on to our second story, and this one comes in an interesting thing. Uh, HBO Max will actually be launching an ad version of their streaming service at a lower price point. So beginning the first week of June, you can get HBO Max for $10 a month with ads. Now, this puts the uh, streaming service on par with some of the other streaming services in terms of their lower end price range. Being in that $10 range uh, puts them right kind of smack dab in the middle of some of the price range, gives them a, an option that's more competitive. Um, and partly when they're talking about it in the ad, in the article, they were saying that this was in part to try and supercharge the growth of platform. Um, but it also was an admission that perhaps they had not quite gotten the pricing right on their original tier, that maybe they launched it and it was a little bit too high. So this is a little bit about that, um, kind of where they're, they're kind of going on both, both tiers. They're figuring maybe we can expand even further by giving a second tier but also an acknowledgement that maybe their first tier is a little bit overpriced. Um, now, we've seen that there are a number of platforms that have gone with this model, Hulu being, I think, the first one that, that did that. Uh, also, Paramounts, uh, Peacock, uh, there's several of them that have a multi-tiered platform where there's one tier with ads and one tier without ads. Uh, so, Rob, what do you make of HBO Max's $10 ad version? Well, I think the biggest thing of note with this is that uh, the ad version will not have access to the same day movie premieres like uh, Godzilla versus Kong, uh, Little Things, et cetera, that have come out on HBO Max and been able to be watched the same day they were released in the theater will not be available on HBO Mini or HBO Max ad supported version, whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that is, so to me, that is a significant enough thing for me to not want to get the one with ads. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, and I say that because I think in general, uh, across the spectrum of the other services that you mentioned, I don't think there's a distinctive enough thing that differentiates the ad supported version versus the ad free version mm -hmm. and I, I think that hbo max having the same day premieres on the ad free version is a significant uh difference between the two yeah yeah it's i know that this has become a popular model 
And if it gains them more subscribers, you know, more to it. But I think it's interesting because part of part of their model was people will sign up for the same day movies. And so they're kind of, maybe this is a case of they're hitting two different customer bases with this added tier, but it does, it does kind of deteriorate from, from that. Maybe that they'll figure, Hey, the $10 people will subscribe. Then if a movie comes out, they really want to see they'll up it for the month to the, other version and, and maybe that's possible maybe that you will see some of that where it's saying oh, i'm already paying ten dollars what's five dollars more for one month so i can watch this movie yeah i mean there is a significant catalog obviously of hbo mm-hmm. original content on hbo max and other shows too like uh, doctor who and friends mm-hmm. obviously two of the bigger ones but there's a whole bunch of content on there that would probably be worthwhile for a bunch of people who only want to spend ten dollars a month yeah and hbo hbo max is probably in my opinion the best of the streaming services uh both in terms of the quality of the content and in terms of the fact that they have all their back content all of it i mean this is one of my biggest beefs it's been one of my biggest beefs with uh you know what was cbs now and now paramount plus is there's no excuse for them not having all of their back catalogs, especially when you're paying for something. So I think, I think there is something good about, about a differentiation where aside from ads that there is actually a content differentiation. And that's one thing Peacock has. Peacock has a free version where you can get some stuff, but then to get the whole tier, you have to upgrade a little bit. So I think Peacock actually has three tiers where there's a, an advanced tier where you can actually download stuff and, and, and those type of things. So um, it will be interesting to see how many people end up on each tier as to which, which has more value. I'll have to look into that sometime. I'm not sure where that stands with the rest of the streaming services that are multi-tiered as to which, uh, which tier has the most people in it. I'm guessing just by sheer numbers it'll be the cheaper tier yeah it'll be interesting to see how much they break down and how different it will be for hbo than it is for hulu and paramount and and some of i would think a lot of the people who have signed up for hbo max already with the intention of watching the movies when they come out won't be switching so i do think this is to engage a different audience sure yeah, I, I can't see many people who have the current streaming service taking the effort to switch down. So this, I mean, this kind of brings me to a question because I've been debating this myself uh, for a number of of the services. Which which do you prefer when you have the choice between the cheaper ad version versus the more expensive no ad version? Which what's your normal decision on that? And do you, is, is it purely monetary or are there other things involved? How do you, how do you go with that? I think theoretically, I would always prefer to not have ads, but in practicality, um, I do have some services with ads just because I have a few and, you know, when you have a few, you're trying to save a few dollars. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm trying, trying to keep basically my, my TV, which I use YouTube TV for, plus streaming services, like definitely keep it like under $90 a month altogether, which means the streaming service amount is fairly limited in what I can have or not have. Uh, fortunately, I have like um, Netflix, we don't have to pay for our own, so that's good. And uh, Peacock Premium, we have through Comcast because we have them for internet, so that comes with it. Mm-hmm. So that's been good to not even have to worry about those two. Um, but it does pretty much limit me to one or two other things. And uh, if I can save a few dollars and have a couple things, then I'll probably go the route of saving a few dollars. Nice. Yeah, I'm, I'm really back and forth on this. I have Hulu with ads. And right now I have Paramount Plus and HBO Max without ads. And I got to tell you, watching stuff on hulu it is a barrier for me like it annoys me the ads really really annoy me like the breakup in the show like the and and the problem is 
sometimes how the ads are even executed. Like you get one annoying ad on there and they keep playing it over and over and over again. And, and I, I'm irrational. I have an irrational hatred of a lot of commercials. And so like the annoyance level just continues to drive up on me. So I, I don't know. I have a love hate relationship with Hulu as a result of that. So I have, I have elected when I feel like I can to not go with the ad version. I don't necessarily like paying more, but overall the experience is much nicer. So, so I'm, I'm kind of split 50, 50, cause I don't feel like paying for more for Hulu, but it is what it is. So yeah. Okay. So the third story today, I had to bring this one up because I really hope that this, that this changes. I really hope that this gets off the ground. So this story it comes to us uh, from an interview that Emily Blunt gave recently. And she was talking about a, the possible Edge of Tomorrow sequel. Now, Edge of Tomorrow was a fantastic time travel sci-fi movie a number of years ago, starring Emily Blunt and Tom Cruise. Uh, it was a time loop, and it was a really, really well done movie. It was entertaining. It was exciting. Emily Blunt was great. There's lots of uh, there's lots of great action, and the story was really cool. And there's been long rumored that they were working on a sequel. And Emily Blunt kind of gave an update on this, which was half a teaser and half just designed to get your hopes up only to dash them. Mm. Uh, but this is what she had to say. She said there was once an amazing script for Edge of Tomorrow 2, but she doesn't actually know whether it's going to get happened. She said there was an amazing script, but I don't know what the future holds. I did a read of the script and it was in really great shape, but it was just a matter of if that can even happen now. And I don't have an answer on that one. Now, why she's attempting to do this to us, I don't know. I don't know. She's just a tease, I think. Uh, but what do you make of this? I mean, I would love to see where they were going with the sequel to this movie. Because it doesn't immediately line up as a film that had a natural sequel to it because of the way they set up the storyline because you're in the loop and then you're out of the loop once you've completed it based on the original timeline but i don't know and they were saying some of the reasons might be that it was too expensive um and they don't know how they're going to do it but come on this is hollywood man they're not, they're, they're always up for blowing a bunch of money on some random product, uh, especially when it's got Emily Blunt and Tom Cruise in it. Come on. Uh, I think that uh, perhaps the general feeling towards spending a bunch of money on something like this might have shifted over the course of the last year and a half. And maybe that's why she's saying that she doesn't think it would be necessarily cost effective to do I, more looking at what will the return be on a movie like this. And I would also like to say that um, I don't agree with what Emily Blunt has said, so she should go to her quiet place. Uh, <laughs> oh, but the most important part of this story, to be honest, is the fact that they said the sequel to Edge of Tomorrow, which at one point was called Live, Die, Repeat, was going to be called Live, Die, Repeat, and Repeat, which might be the worst name I've ever heard in the history of the movie industry. Uh-huh. Uh -huh. <laughs> That's horrible. That is a horrible name. Live, die, repeat, and repeat. I, I mean, it just rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? <laughs> if that's why they changed the title of the original movie, because they knew that was going to happen, I have a lot more respect for them now. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Uh kind of throws a little monkey wrench in the fact that hey this was written by this is a great script the writers were doing a fantastic job <laughs> oh yeah that's an ugly title uh, that, the title writers were not the same as the script writers so let's just you know just like a headline in a newspaper you got to give them a little little leeway yeah <laughs>
<laughs> but I, I would really, really love to see this film. So I hope it comes off. I hope it works. Um, I mean, if Zack Snyder can get enough people to decide that he needs a Snyder cut of the Justice League, we can definitely get an edge of tomorrow too across the finish line, I think. Let's do it. Let's make it happen. All right. So it's time for our discussion items. First one up is going to be movies that are coming out this weekend. So Rob, you have one that wasn't on the original list. So why don't you chime in first with uh, with your addition to the box office this week? Well, you did just mention Zack Snyder. And if anyone has not had enough of Zack Snyder, Zack Snyder is a movie coming out on Netflix at 3 a.m. It's called mm-hmm. Army of the Dead, starring Dave Bautista. And I would like to read to you what the movie is. Uh, Army of the Dead takes place following a zombie outbreak that has left Las Vegas in ruins and walled off from the rest of the world. Zombies plus Las Vegas, I'm there for it, uh, especially Zack Snyder. It's going to be uh, interesting and probably very slow motiony. <laughs> I look forward to seeing zombies getting blown apart in slow motion because that's almost certainly going to happen. Yeah, for sure. That title always reminds me of uh, Army of Darkness. Yeah, the the classic horror sci-fi movie that I had the distinction of having seen that one for the first time in middle school film class while the teacher was like, we shouldn't be watching this movie. We shouldn't be watching this movie. <laughs> I should probably read some more of the description of the movie because you really need to understand what's what's happening here. Yes. When Scott Ward, who is played by Dave Bautista, mm-hmm. a former zombie war hero who's now flipping burgers on the outskirts of town, he now calls home, is approached by casino boss Bly Tanaka. So the ultimate proposition, break into the zombie-infested quarantine zone to retrieve $200 million sitting in a vault beneath the strip before the city is nuked by the government in 32 hours. How about them for stakes? <laughs> if you can't build a plot off that, I don't know what else you can do. All I have to say is that there must be some cows smoking Mm. around the script writing because the stakes are very high. I I don't know. We're going to have to put a rain on these (laughs) because that's already too much. I don't think that's possible. That's not possible. I'm sorry. (laughs) Oh, man. Wow. Okay. So that's, uh, that's, uh, that's quite an addition. Army of the um, Dead, Netflix, Netflix in about uh, four hours from now. Well, it's 11 o'clock p.m. on uh, Thursday, not when you're watching it, but four hours from when I said the words. It's available for you as you're listening to it. Yes. This will come out on Friday. Watch now, immediately. Zack Snyder, Zombies, Las Vegas. So now, Rob, I know you attempted unsuccessfully to stay up and watch a movie the other week. what are you thinking about the 3 a.m. release for uh, Army of the Dead? Pretty sure I'm going to be asleep at 3 a.m. Uh, uh, I will try and check it out perhaps tomorrow. I, I just I just don't like the commitment. Slacker. I'm an embarrassment. Yeah. It's okay. Zack <laughs> Snyder will forgive me. All right. So now actually coming out in box office this week, um, there are two movies. And one of them is Dream Horse. Dream horse, dream horse, dream of, sorry, let me start over again. Dream <laughs> Alliance is an unlikely racehorse bred by a small town Welsh bartender. With no experience, Jan convinces Jan, unless it's Jan, I don't know. I'm pretty sure it's the woman, so I think it's pretty Jan. Sure it's the woman, so let's go Jan. <laughs> Jan convinces her neighbor to chip in their meager earnings to help raise Dream in the hopes he can compete in racing elites. Okay, so you got a horse racing movie. Horse movie, horse racing movie, okay. And the second one is Finding You. Now, Finding You is the story of Finley, a talented, aspiring violinist meets Beckett, a famous young movie star on the way to her college semester abroad program in the coastal village of Ireland. 
of course, unexpected things happen because it has to. Yeah. So it's an unexpected romance emerges as the heartthrob Beckett leads the uptight Finley on an adventurous reawakening as she emboldens him to take charge of his future until pressures of his stardom get in the way. So this is a, looks like a romantic comedy drama on tap. Rob, if you had to choose one of these two films to go see this weekend, which one would you choose? Army of the Dead. But actually, <laughs> I, I, I actually fell asleep when you were giving the synopsis of the second movie. So um, I, I will say I'm intrigued by uh, Dream Horse just because Damien Lewis is in it and I like Damien Lewis. Damien Lewis so, is a good actor. So I'll, I'll yeah. check Damien Lewis out in pretty much anything. Um, beyond that, I have pretty much zero motivation to watch either. Yeah, I hear you. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a little bit of a rough weekend in terms of uh, nice releases for the theater. However, there still are a number of movies that are in there that you could see. Have you seen Wrath of Man yet? I have not seen Wrath of Man yet. See, there you go. Wrath of Man. That's the way to go. Uh, if I had to see one of these two movies, I would probably pick Finding You. I'm not big into the animal movies. It's just, it's not a genre that I particularly enjoy. Now, of all the animal movie genres, horses are probably one of my least favorite of the animal genre movies. So it's going to be really tough for me to want to be motivated to see Dream Horse. So I would be left with finding you. Have fun. Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe if my wife wanted to see it, we would go see it. <laughs> I'm guessing that's still not going to appeal to her. So. <laughs> However, next week we have Quiet Place 2. Yes. The so quiet thing. It's going to get better. It's going to get better over the next few weeks. But we'll keep you updated on what's coming out in the box offices. And maybe Dream Horse for Finding You is right up your alley and you'd love to go see it. So if you do, and if they intrigue you, check them out. There's also a number of other great movies out in theaters right now that you can go see. So visit your local theater. All right. So on to our second discussion item. And this is this is one that's been, that's been cropping up a little bit over... Uh, the last few weeks when we've been talking about a few things. I also had a recent conversation with a friend of mine who told me that he was going through his movie collection and getting rid of stuff, which struck me as somewhat as sacrilegious, but you know, I'd, you know. He sat with a giant wall of movies behind him. Yeah. So this brings me to the question. The question that we're gonna discuss is, with streaming services on the rise, with so many movies available for streaming, where you just pay a monthly subscription service and you get access to all of this content, is there still value in owning movies? So that's what we want to go back and forth and discuss a little bit. Is there still value in owning movies? So Rob, do you want to take the first, uh, the first shot at this? What do you think? Uh, I think that the answer is overwhelmingly yes. And the reason is that although there are a bunch of streaming services and although there is a bunch of content, things move around so much and go from place to place and often go to uh, no place that if you really, really love something, the only way you're going to be able to guarantee that you'll be able to watch it when you want is to have it in your possession. So I, I firmly believe in that. I also uh, believe in um, transferring my own collection into a digital form and have things to make that happen, but have been very lazy and have accomplished about two movies so far <laughs> out of probably a thousand. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I think there's definitely value to having things of your own. I don't like seeing a whole bunch of movie cases and stuff around uh, my co-host is not in that same realm he he enjoys his you movie can see cases. part of mine sticking out yeah. the corner <laughs> video right now <laughs> um part of the reason why i've been trying to uh move some of it to a, a digital format just because it's easier but um i i think there's value to it i do understand like i said some people take 
what my thoughts are about clutter to the extreme and are like they don't want anything real like media around so i can see why some people are doing it but for me i think there's still value in owning a movie or tv show if you really want to be able to watch it when you want i think you've really hit the nail on the head in terms of movie the main reason why is availability of content uh, and you you definitely hit on that a ton being able to watch a movie when you want to watch it is big especially now with the with the loss of blockbuster video and the cheap rental the idea of spending spending five six bucks on a rental it's really tough to stomach especially when depending on what movie it is you can find it to buy for not a ton more than that there is a there is a lot of value but i think one of the other things that comes in this and i think this is one of the underrated aspects of owning movies and it's not taken advantage of near enough is the extra content the special features the director's cuts the uh, enhancements the extras all of those type of things that come with the movie the special editions. When you own a movie, you get all this other content. Sometimes, depending on what it is, there's hours and hours and hours of content. And if this is one of your favorite movies, this extra content is gold. It really, really enhances your love of the movies. And you just do not get it with streaming services. You just don't. I mean, the closest thing you can come to is on, is on some... I think the closest thing, some of the HBO shows that will give you their original shows, the TV shows, they'll give you their back content where you can get some extras and some other things in there, but it really doesn't exist. The special features do not exist on streaming service movies. And this is one of the major enhancements. I know some of the stuff like going back to an older movie, Cloverfield had some really, really cool special features where there was one where if you watch the movie with this special feature on, it will let you know where the creature is at all times throughout the movie. There will be like a map in the, in the, in the display where, where it will tell you where the creature is. And there's so many times where it's like, suppose it's really close to the, to the, main, the main cast and characters. And that's really cool. If you've never watched a movie with the, with the, audio commentary on, which is often from either some of the actors or the directors, that can be really fun. If it's one of your favorite movies, you get a lot of backstories on some of that stuff. So a lot of that's really underrated and people don't take enough advantage of it, but it's really valuable. To have. Yeah, I would say the, the only place that I've seen things like that on the streaming service, and it's not the same as some other streaming services would be Vudu because on Vudu you're buying uh movies to like have in your library and some of them have special features like the mm -hmm. harry potter movie collection when it came out um for each one of the um, eight movies there was uh an hour plus long special feature uh just each one detailing a different aspect of the series which is pretty cool but a lot of, a lot of them you won't find stuff like that and i would still consider that owning the movie yeah is it, there's there's a lot of question in terms of the ether as to whether you actually own some of this digital content or not. Yeah, Bruce Willis complained about that with iTunes, but that I would still consider that owning. And even with that, uh, a lot of the movies that you buy, if you buy the physical copy, it also will come with the digital copy. And even with that, the special features on the digital version sometimes are different or or even less than the ones that come on the actual discs. So that's it's something to consider. I think there's also, um, and this is one of my complaints about the streaming services in general, is there's that range of movies, which are like, you know, like 10 to 15 years old, that are like the forgotten genre of movies that just get lost in the wash of streaming services. And if you've been buying them, if you've been maintaining your collection, you can really have fun with content that is otherwise unavailable or that most people aren't seeing. So I would still recommend it. Now, uh, what what has your philosophy been on buying movies? Is there, do you have a particular, these movies I buy, these movies I don't buy, is it cost driven? What What's your philosophy? 
Uh, I almost never buy a movie unless I have seen it and really, really like it. Mm. So I, I don't buy a movie to watch it. I buy a movie knowing I already like it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it, I mean, I, I have a lot of movies, but it does limit what I buy because if I watch a movie and don't like it, I'm not going to buy it because there's no reason to do that. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. um, that's one thing I've really liked about um, and, and starting back up soon again, having the Regal subscription, being able to go watch a wide variety of movies in the theater allows me to have a much uh, better screening process when it comes to new things, which I've really been a fan of. Yeah, for me, I've switched over the years. Uh, maybe 10, 15 years ago, I used to um, buy exclusively, for a long time, I bought exclusively based on cost. Like I would go and find like the three for 10 DVD bin and just find out movies that I liked out of that bin. And I would do that a lot. Or I would wait till a movie got, I could buy a used copy somewhere or wait till it got cheap and I would buy from that so my movie collection is a little odd in that there's some of some movies that i really like that i don't own and then there's a number of movies that i think are just decent or okay but i got them because they were cheap but now over the last few years i've started just saying hey i'm going to take my favorite movies from the year and i'm going to buy my favorite movies from the year and if that means i have to pay a little bit more for them so be it but it does mean that i will own all the movies that I thought were really, really good. Uh, now I've been trying to do the best I can to buy them all on Black Friday. That way I can get them at a still good deal. Uh, but I'll still, buy, I'll still go into like a, a used, uh, used movie store and just buy random stuff every now and again. But like you, I almost never buy something that I haven't seen before. Yeah, Black Friday is a, is a great time to go buy movies. If you have never been brave enough to go out among all the crowds that's one of the better things in my opinion about the uh sales mm-hmm. i think some people might be focused more on the big ticket things but that's something that you can you can find some movies for really really cheap like absurdly cheap depending on what it is and where you go yeah especially uh, stuff that came out about a year ago they, they you can really get some really good deals on stuff that came out you know, six months to a year ago, they really tend to discount that stuff heavily because they know people are going to want it. Also, if you've been looking for like a special edition or a box office or a box set, sometimes you that's when you can get the best deal where it actually comes down into the affordability range. So, yeah, I, I still think there's value in owning movies and consider owning your favorite movies. I would say if I, that would be my one advice. If if it, there's a movie you really like, I would consider doing that. I don't know. Okay. Yeah, you got something else? No, just I co-sign. Awesome. All right, let's do, let's move on to a watch list. Movies that we watched over the past week that we will give you a brief description of our thoughts on. So, Rob, what did you watch this week? Uh, there were a couple that I watched. Uh, the first one is called uh, The Mauritanian. And I had not even heard of this movie until I saw it at Redbox and kind of looked up a brief synopsis of it, thought it looked interesting and checked it out. It features Benedict Cumberbatch uh, using a Texan accent. Interesting. Like I literally could not recognize his voice when he like it, he actually pulled it off. And as he's talking, it's like, that's not him. (laughs) (laughs) not sound like that <laughs> uh I, i'm so like i don't think i've seen him with another accent anything before so it was very interesting to see um the mauritanian is the true story of uh mamadou old slahi who was a mauritanian citizen who was uh taken in for questioning about some terrorist actions and ended up traveling from mauritania to jordan to guantanamo bay and was at Guantanamo Bay for 14 years, never charged with a crime until he was released. And it can be uh, up in the air, you know, whether he was involved or not and whether there was evidence or not. Um, But he was eventually released without being charged. So he did not feel they had to 
strong enough case to make against him. Um, a very well-written legal drama, I would say. Jodie Foster is also in it as the person who chooses to represent him. Um, Benedict Cumberbatch plays the army. Uh, I don't, I don't want to say the wrong. Actually, I think he's in the Marines. I don't want to say the wrong rank, but he's the person who is in charge of the uh, the prosecution, trying to make sure that they have all their ducks in a row in order to charge uh, him with some of these things. And he ends up getting to the point where he says, I can't in good conscience charge him because any evidence you say that you have was obtained under duress. So there's a, there's a whole bunch of stuff there, geopolitically, what's okay, what's not okay. Um, are confessions obtained under duress worthwhile or worthless? And uh, I just think it was a really well-told well told story. Tahir Rahim is the person who plays uh, Slahi, and he's probably the best part of the movie. I think that he has a great performance in it. Um, on the other end of the spectrum, I watched another Liam Neeson action movie because they apparently come out every week. They do. Um, <laughs> called The Marksman, and in this one, Liam Neeson lives on the border in Arizona, and uh, mom and her son are escaping skin cartel, and he rescues uh, the son with the court cartel, like right across the border fence. They get involved in the shootout, and then uh, he runs away with the boy, and they chase him. And it's a Liam Neeson movie, so you get Liam Neeson things. Nice. I mean, at this point, I'm honestly, if Liam Neeson is in an action movie, I'm going to watch it because I know it's going to be ridiculous, and I'm going to get Liam Neeson, and yeah. you know, that's all I really need. Sold. You know, you know he's going to deliver the performance. He's going to deliver, and you know it will be reasonable enough to watch it. And like I, I would, I would say that probably like ninety percent of these movies are ones I would never buy, but they're ones I'll watch because they're fun. Yeah. So yeah. how about you, what did you watch? Uh, I finally got to the theater to see Mortal Kombat. Mm, I'd watch that at home. Yeah. I. I mean, you talked about it when you first saw it, mm-hmm. and yeah, not great. <laughs> not yeah, great. I think uh, what what I had said when I when I first saw it was that, like, given the stakes of this video game world they've created, it's, it's. I just think it's really difficult to make a compelling movie out of it that has stakes that feel realistic. Part of the problem I had in this is like they're talking about oh. There's going to be this tournament. There's going to be this tournament. And then like the tournament starts and it's like halfway in what, Oh, this is the tournament. Oh, okay. This is, they're not, <laughs> they're not going somewhere to like compete in the tournament. No, no, this, this is the tournament. Oh, okay. All right. I, I guess, I, I guess. Okay. That's fine. <laughs> um, so I, I don't know. Um, I think I was, I honestly, one of the things that disappointed me was some of the action sequences because I really anticipated them being like super high quality, like crazy martial arts, crazy amounts of stunts. And there were some, but I thought, I ultimately thought a lot of them were underwhelming. And I don't think the acting was, was really superb. I, I thought the, the, the female actor and I'm blanking on on her character name right now, but uh, really overacted. <laughs> I thought she was really over the top in her acting, and it was pretty obvious. And so it just the quality of it wasn't great. And I gotta say, it was just it just felt like a forgettable movie. I mean, it was entertaining at the time. It's not it's not like I was just like, oh, I can't wait for this movie to be over. But it just the quality the quality overall was not there yeah i didn't feel like there was like much payoff yeah in the movie yeah absolutely and some of the some of the scenes and some of the character development were just obvious or overdone or yeah so just it left it left something to be desired for sure uh the second movie i watched was the uh continued exploration of 90s action movies. The classic 1995 film, The Usual Suspects. Mm. Great movie. 
Kaiser Kaiser Soze. Yes. After my Kaiser Soze. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is a fantastic movie. It really is. It's everything of that genre of movies, the ensemble cast, the intriguing plot. Um, This movie is both something that you can look back on and kind of make fun of, but still really enjoy. Um, you can even see, this is another one where the director's commentary is fantastic. Brian Singer gets on there and talks about all the mistakes he made while making the film. Uh, you can see, for instance, there's a, there's a shot where a plane comes in with four engines and then they show it from back and it only has two engines. <laughs> He's like, yeah, we didn't feel like getting that close to a plane or they wouldn't let us get that close to that big of a plane or so- something like along those lines. Um, but it's really, really well done. I think one of the things, one of the strengths of the movie is the um, the the way they were able to build up the figure of Kaiser Soze. In particular, the one scene where you have the guy with the Hungarian accent and they really don't translate much of what he's saying. He's rambling on. He's got like half his face burned. He's just getting agitated. And there's a Kaiser Soze. And... And the way they film it and the drama that comes out of that, especially with having this guy speaking this foreign language and, and getting all crazy, it builds up the character tremendously well. And when you look with the cinematography, uh, Brian Singer does a great job in his directing where you're looking and there's a lot of tight knit close shots. There's a lot of close shots on Kevin Spacey's face as he's telling the story. And Kevin Spacey does a lot of exposition. He's the narrator in the movie. And it really, the movie heavily relies on Kevin Spacey's ability to tell a compelling story. And he, he's so good and he's so good in this role. And I was funny because just this week I was, um, Chris McQuarrie, who uh, is the director of the more recent Mission Impossible movies, was actually the writer of this film. And he was on Twitter this week talking about it and the infamous lineup scene that they had in the beginning where they're all laughing and choking up. He revealed that actually one of the actors farted and that's why they're all chuckling and laughing. And they kept telling them to calm down and they kept, and the more they kept telling them to calm down, the more they just kept laughing. And it was funny, he said, because that actually solved the problem in the script because they didn't want to have to create another scene with these guys bonding uh, to create the chemistry for them. But because of that laughter in that scene, they're like, oh, we got it. It's good. Yeah, it's definitely one of the most classic scenes of the entire movie, that people remember. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So The Usual Suspects, I believe there's a streaming option on it, but I'm not sure. Usual Suspects, definitely. If you have not seen The Usual Suspects, you should definitely see The Usual Suspects. It's a classic cinema lore. Okay. So to wrap up the podcast, uh, we're going to do our recommendations. And I thought we'd do a little bit of a twist on the recommendations tonight. And so both of us are married and like to watch movies with our wives when we have the opportunity. So the recommendations for tonight come courtesy of our wives. Movies that our wives would recommend. Rob, what do you got? Uh, so she gave me a list of like 12, but I chose <laughs> one. <laughs> uh, okay. If you have Disney Plus, it is available there in 1991's The Rockets Here, mm. which I will say that I enjoy also. Um, very stylistic, uh, Art Deco-inspired movie about a guy who discovers a jetpack and becomes a superhero pretty cool um billy campbell and jennifer Connolly are the main stars of the movie and it's just uh, it's one of those fun movies that just kind of transports you to uh, a completely different world so the rocketeer if you have not seen it i recommend nice it's a good one uh so my wife uh, recommended The Help. This is one that she wanted to recommend. She watched it recently. She always really enjoys it. And The Help was, came out in 2011. 
It stars Viola Davis, Emma Stone, Octavia Spencer, Bryce Dallas Howard, Jessica Chastain. It's a really all-star female cast uh, in this one. And it, it's about the story of, a, of an aspiring author writing during the civil rights movement of the 60s uh, about uh, some Southern housewives, some African-American Southern housewives or house um, servants, um, housekeepers, maids, um, and it's writing during their story. So I asked her what it was she likes about this movie. And it really came down to character development. The story does a great job of painting the picture of the daily lives of these women, um, their, their triumphs, their struggles, their hopes and dreams. And, and she finds it really, really inspiring. And this movie is on Netflix and it is a good one. I like this one. Okay. So those are two movies recommended by our wives that you should definitely check out. Anything else you got, Rob? I do not. Uh, it's only three, four hours until Army of the Dead comes out. So maybe, you know, I'll just stay awake. I don't know. Go for it. Let's see. <laughs> All right. Well, that is the show, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to Film for Fans. Do us a favor. Rate, subscribe, share it with your friends. And before we go... I had forgot to mention that we had some great comments come in from the uh, one of the past episodes and someone said on movies that they regretted seeing Borat. <laughs> and I must say that is a good one. I, I think there are very few people who do not regret seeing that movie. There are things in Borat that you cannot unsee. <laughs> So if you're going to choose a movie uh, to put on your not watch list, Borat may be up there. So thank you, Valerie, for, for that suggestion. <laughs> All right. Well, that is the show. Thank you for, for tuning in. And if you have any other comments on anything that we've talked about today, please send them our way. Until next time, enjoy the movies.